Welcome to the business of being well. If you're a hands-on practitioner who wants to grow a profitable business without working your life away, you're in the right place. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. I, Dr. Danielle, <laughs> I don't have a cool name like yours. Um, we are recording this conversation that I wanted to stream live, um, but we're not getting it to work. So we're moving forward with plan B with the technology. So here we are. Okay. I assume at this point, everyone knows you, but that's kind of silly because I didn't know you until just a few months ago, really. Um, I don't know how that happened, but that being said, I guess it's a good idea to introduce ourselves. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I'm Dr. Monique Andrews. Most people know me as Dr. Mo, and uh, I'm a chiropractor, neuroscientist, and soul mentor, I guess I would call myself. I have been studying, teaching, and speaking about chiropractic, neuroscience, and the mind-body continuum for the last 20 years. And really, I've made it my own personal mission to try and share as much of this message around the neurobiology of how we exist in this world and what the chiropractor's role is and how we really function as chiropractors to elevate humanity. Um, I think that's probably good. Soul mentor. I know the answer to this question, but my first thought was soul of the feet. No, 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 no. S-O-U-L, not S-O-L-E. S-O-U-L, a moniker, the soul mentor was a moniker given to me by one of my mentees, actually. So I'm taking it because I really liked it. I think you and your wife, um, Dr. Tamara McIntyre, do I have her last name correct? Yeah, Tamara McIntyre. Thank you. I think that the two of you together have such um, a really cool way of explaining chiropractic and just... um, teaching it. I haven't experienced your teach like official t- teaching yet, but I did sign up for your course that's coming up and I'm super excited to just dive in and learn more. It's on um, the polyvagal theory and chiropractic. Um, yeah. I just feel like you, you're taking what has, how do I put this? Something that's old ish and, and like giving it a fresh spin but it's in, it's in a relatable way to me, at least. Yeah, I think that that's the whole point, right? Like that's what makes a teacher good. I think Einstein says it best. He says, if you cannot explain it simply, you do not understand it well. That is so true. That is so true. I had an experience last week where I was listening to a mentor of mine. He was, um, it was like a, a video replay of an event from a couple of years ago. And he was coaching someone in this huge room full of people. And and I'm listening to this long way around that it get to basically him. And it just happened to be a chiropractor. That was like the coach E in this experience. Um, He was not feeling satisfied with the money that he was making. And a lot of it had to do with, being able to support his family, which he had a large family. And the the coach asked him, how much money do you want to make? And he said, 250,000. That's what I want my take home to be. And it was way less than that. And he said, okay, so go build a business 
that allows you to have that. And I was like, that's exactly what I teach in my program. But man, is that's so that's such a simple way to put it. And I have so many more words. And I was like, ah, okay, I'm gonna just make it way more simple. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nobody complains. And you can always go deeper and make it more complicated, right? When people ask questions and inevitably, but somebody told me once, tell them what you're gonna tell them, tell them, and then you tell them again. Mm-hmm. And maybe that has different layers to it, but it seems to work. Yeah. That's actually the the format that I kind of follow when I create a course is like when I'm creating the course modules, I tell them what I'm going to tell them. And then I tell them, and then I tell them what I told them. Yeah, I feel kind of goofy when I do that. I'm like repeating myself so much, but. Um, Repetition just, works. And just, that's how the brain is designed to have neuroplastic change through repetition. Repetition is one of the requirements for neuroplastic change. So I'd say stick with it. We could talk about that a lot because, you know, in our practices, we have to develop skill sets that are not taught in school. Like we have to develop marketing skill sets. We have to develop sales skill sets and people are really afraid of those and for a variety of reasons. Right. And, and um, sometimes there's some trauma in the person's past that is related to the fear of developing those skills. But I, I don't know about you. I had a lot of fear when I started adjusting in school, I was so afraid I was going to hurt someone or like do it wrong. (laughs) And, and I was also really uncomfortable in my body. So that was a big factor for me too. Like I, I just didn't want anyone to watch me doing this really awkward thing, but how do we get better at adjusting? I think that's really common too. And I think it's particularly common for women to be like, I don't want to put that much force into the body. And how do I know how much force? And I'm not that comfortable in my own body. And what does that look like? Um, Yeah, it's, you know, the three facets that are required for neuroplastic change, which is growing the brain to learn something new is intention. So you have to be set on what your intention is action, actually doing that thing, and then repetition, doing it over and over and over again. Uh, You know, sorry to be a buzzkill for some people, but neuroplasticity doesn't happen by listening to Audible when you're sleeping. Uh, You know, there's a much more prescriptive (laughs) way to actually create change in the brain. Um, Yeah, so that I could talk about that for three days. Which is um, overall a good thing. When you have that much to say about something, it means that you, well, uh, you know a lot about it, but also that you really care about it. Yeah. And for me, like I love overlaying the neurobiology, the neuroscience of well, anything. Tell me, what do you want to know about? And I want to talk about the neuroscience of it, because this is how we evolve as human beings. Like the very first thing to develop is the brain and everything in my mind then gets somehow overlaid by that. And so like for me right now in this time of COVID, I think about the neurobiology of stress and this word resilience has suddenly become a buzzword, right? And I think it's something that we've been talking about in chiropractic for a long time. Maybe we've been using the word adaptation and adaptability, 
But I think an even better word for us as chiropractors to start using is maybe resilience because it's even more encompassing. And it's something now that the mainstream media has really grabbed onto. And this is where I would love our conversation to go today is to talk about how does that, how do we cultivate that? How are we being impacted by the stress right now in the middle of a pandemic, which is actually now an endemic and not so much a pandemic, but maybe that's a whole other three hour conversation. (laughs) Like what, how are we dealing neurobiologically, physiologically, emotionally, spiritually with this overwhelming allostatic load that's been imposed on us for now over a year? Um, Just taught a course, a continuing ed course um, two weekends ago, and it was on managing and preventing burnout. And I really dug into the clinical research, which by the way, is not very good on burnouts. And um, there's all, that's again, another like four hour topic. That's how long the course was. I taught. Um, one of the things that I took away from preparing the presentation was how to put this into clinical terms, because for the last six ish years, I've been helping chiropractors with burnout, but in a very, like, whatever I feel inspired to do kind of way. Like I just listened to my intuition and I built this program that then later became a methodology. And then I go dig into the research and I find, Oh, Oh, wow. A lot of my methodology is supported by research. How, how freaking cool is that? Anyway, I took, I took away from that experience. Like there's clinical definitions of these things. Um, and, and we are told by PubMed, for example, what's, what signs or symptoms make someone eligible for a diagnosis. We're told by the ICD-11 in the U.S. and yeah. um, the World Health Organization, you know, what applies, what um, signs and symptoms indicate a specific diagnosis. So all that to say, how would you first define cultivating resilience? What is resilience? Resilience is our ability to prepare for, recover from, and adapt to stress, adversity, trauma, and to have a positive outcome. I think I think that's a pretty good definition of resilience in in my reading and understanding. I think it's even on the cover of Oprah this month about (laughs) resilience. And so this is, I think this really is, it marries so well with what we think we're doing as chiropractors, Mm -hmm. right? Don't we talk about, you know, helping the body to adapt in the, in the face of an ever-changing environment, trauma, thoughts, toxins, now technology. Um, I think we do help cultivate resilience as chiropractors. I feel like the thoughts, traumas, toxins, technology, of course, like all of those things are increasing. (laughs) Um, Like the, I don't want to say the threat because that feels very fear-based, but like the implications of all those things is only getting greater as time goes on. And, and over the last year, of course, they've become even greater than ever before in our lifetimes, especially. So it's like, how, how can we not talk about this? How can we not focus on this? How can we not help people with this? Um, Because it's everywhere. And I feel like, 
you know, like in this dimension, like in a third dimension, third dimensional reality, um, it feels like capitalism is a part of why our health is under attack. But in the fifth dimension, like in a more spiritual perspective, it's different to me. It feels like good versus evil (laughs) and not everyone is into that, but like when I look at it from that perspective, I think, you know, what we're doing is actually a lot greater than what we, what we realize sometimes, because um, while we're helping people remove subluxations, what causes subluxations and like helping them also to eliminate those stressors, thoughts, traumas, toxins, maybe technology, um, we are doing so much more than what we give ourselves credit for, but also than what we're taught in chiropractic school. Oh yeah. It's so (laughs) lack. It's it's, it's missing the essence because we have all these perfunctory things to learn and boxes to check. And for me, I love taking something and and because for me, I have one foot really in the science and one foot in the meta science or metaphysics. Like I love spirituality and consciousness Mm -hmm. and we could wrap for a whole hour. In fact, I have a whole talk that I do on chiropractic and consciousness and how we really are uniting the physical and the spiritual. I mean, literally the same areas of the brain where consciousness reside are the areas of the brain that we're impacting as chiropractors when we adjust the slide, right? Yep. But I love taking whatever the concept is, like let's, if we talk about what's happening right now with the load that we have, the allostatic load, the amount of stress that we have in our lives, and then look at what, how do we manage that as human beings, right? It's why I love diving into somatic therapies and looking at trauma work and why we're offering a course this weekend on polyvagal theory, because it very specifically describes how our neurobiology in response to stress creates a emotional, behavioral, physiological output. It's like, why does it happen? This is actually why it happens. And I think if more chiropractors understood the level of impact we have when you lay your hands on somebody and the level of authority we have with our patients and actually explaining to them how much power they have to change what's happening in their physiology in going to a chiropractor, but also in things they can be doing themselves. Like, I think when people understand, there's something about the language of science that people buy it, right? It's like, oh, wow, that explains it. And I still, I'm like, I still am a sucker for good, good data. <laughs> like, I'm not going to pretend it's another way. But having said that, I'm not into scientism. It's not like, oh, well, just follow the science and that's it. I believe we have to question everything. Um, but that's I love really what the, the root of science is, though, is questioning Yes. Yeah. And I think what's happening with the current state of healthcare is it's not really healthcare. It's still, it's still sick care. If it was healthcare, we'd be talking about how people that have really high levels of vitamin D are not succumbing to COVID. How, if you have good nutrition and, you know, a healthy lifestyle. Well, what is that? We, most of the population don't know because it's not a public health mandate to talk about it. Instead, the mandate is, you know, do take this drug and it'll be okay. 
you know, before 2020, I, I totally had my head in the sand about politics. And since 2020, I'm like, oh, everything is political. <laughs> oh, shoot. Last year, I went to a city council meeting when um, our city council here, actually in August, they attempted to pass a mask mandate and like 600 people showed up to a meeting and basically said no. And I think the mayor was a little concerned that it might get out of hand if she voted yes. So she voted no. And then that was August. So November, they decided to bring this issue back up again. And this time we had far fewer people at that meeting, like people just kind of felt like, I don't know if I can fight this anymore. So I went to the meeting and I stood in front of the city council members and I told them this, this like so cliche thing that we say on the internet, which is like, if this was really about health, you'd be, you'd be banning the fast food restaurants. If this was really about health, then you would be mandating Everyone drink water and not soda, like the obvious things, but you're not doing that. And they just sat and stared at me and it was so awkward. And at that time, I didn't know what I know now is that at every meeting, (laughs) they sit and stare at you and they don't make any facial expressions. They don't respond to your questions. They just hear you because it's a formality and then they vote however they're going to vote. And then that's it. So frustrating. Yeah. And you know, there's a very oftentimes there's lots happening in the background and the underpinnings of the political situation. You know, I mean, even how certain things get mandated in terms of pharmaceuticals and it's like, you know, not necessarily the research is available and you're like, well, this is it. And that's all you hear. And most, you know, we are unicorns. Chiropractors are unicorns. <laughs> you know, we are still a very small part of the population. And we're, I, I feel like a freak right now because, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I read the research that says masks outside are not useful. You do not need to wear a mask outside. It, can a mask potentially be helpful inside in small areas where there's no ventilation? And there's a tiny bit of evidence to suggest yes, but outside wearing a mask is absolutely ludicrous. And, you know, I, I believe creates a real disruption in our ability to connect with other human beings. Um, I think more emphasis, let's talk about the high level of stress that we're all experiencing because it has very specific consequences, not just like, oh, my blood pressure is elevated because I'm stressed right now, but it creates consequences down the line. And in fact, trauma research shows that kids that have high level of developmental trauma, and that's increased exponentially, it's almost doubled the level of developmental trauma that exists, it, the, the level of disease increases. So for example, males that have had um, sexual abuse as a child have a 46 times, not even 46%, 46 times increase in having cancer. So the scariest thing for me about this time right now, given what I understand about neurobiology of stress and the consequences later, Mm -hmm. and we can talk about this today if you want, is what's, it's not even what's happening right now, which is heartbreaking in terms of the financial decimation that people are experiencing, the level of stress, stress of isolation and disconnection. What I really worry about is what's going to happen developmentally 
with these kids that are currently in this space where they're not actually getting the level of connection and co-regulation that they need, where they're not experiencing a feeling of safety, because that creates a disruption in the normal neurosequential neurodevelopment of the child that, you know, we see it's, it, it affects our homeostasis. Like when you're in chronic stress, it turns down your immune system. It turns down your ability to digest nutrients. Like the sympathetic overdrive, like that state of sympathetic dominance, it's supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to go on for 20 months or however, whatever. It's not supposed to be this long. And everybody is, most people are in a sympathetic dominant state and it's been chronic. And we are going to see a proliferation of disease states like we have never seen in our lifetime in about five to 10 years. Yeah, that feels really heavy. (laughs) That feels really heavy. So let's, let's talk about what we can do like what we can do right now for ourselves, what we can do for children, even in our practices with our people. What can we do? We create safety. Our three highest human needs are safety, satisfaction, and connection. Now, when you're a little baby, when you are born, you cannot regulate your emotions and you're not supposed to. Like if you are hungry or you have a wet diaper, what do you do? You, right. Right. And so the way that we learn to regulate our emotion is actually through what's called a co-regulator. Now, what's a co-regulator? A mom is a co-regulator, a caring adult that soothes this child that's incapable of regulating their own emotions. And it's through like, safe, consistent co-regulation with a caring, nurturing adult that we learn as babies to self-regulate, okay? Now, it doesn't happen until somewhere around three years, and that's because the whole myelination process hasn't happened. And if we look at polyvagal theory, our ventral vagal system is not fully myelinated until six months, and that is actually what's responsible for soothing us. So we can't soothe ourselves. But we can learn to. And here's my thing. I think chiropractors are super (laughs) co-regulators. I saw your post about this today. So I was going to make sure that we talked about this because when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, of course we are. Yeah. This hadn't crossed my mind in those words before. Yeah. We know that when that like my biology, all the interpersonal neurobiology tells us that my biology affects your biology Mm -hmm. just by proximity. And that the tone of my nervous system is impacted by the tone of your nervous system and vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? And so as chiropractors, when we work on people, we definitely are changing the tone of the nervous system. We are creating not just a soothing environment, but the touch itself can be soothing. Our outlook, I think, is soothing and nurturing. And I think what we do is we help to take people when they're in that like highly emotional, really stressful state and through touch and we use specific exercises that are what I call applied polyvagal, you can help to people regulate their own nervous systems. That's how we act as co-regulators. So what this tells me is that as chiropractors, when we're when we're in that room with our patients, that 
we really need to be working on ourselves outside of that room with our patients, right? Like there's, there's no more room for this like hustle culture mindset of take care of yourself after you've made it to some imaginary arbitrary benchmark of success in your practice. It's like, you have to take care of yourself every single step of the way from like the time you start taking care of patients until forever, really. Yeah, it's very intentional. And I think it really also, I think really affirms how important it is that we are clear, that we're connected, that our approach is intentional. And that when we're working on people, it's very specifically, you know, we set the tone, right? Literally and figuratively. And I think that the perspective in today's generation, the newer generation of chiropractor is very different than the eighties and all of the young docs that we work with, we work with a lot of like students and new doctors. The focus is about the experience. Success does not have a dollar sign. Success is about having an experiential process that's in alignment with your core values. You know, the thing that I hear all the time is I want to be seen and heard. That's not about money, you know, Um, and hallelujah. I'm so glad. I've been a chiropractor for 20 years. I love the direction that we're taking because I think the more chiropractors, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't make a good living. I'm just saying it doesn't need to be ridiculous. And if we really, (laughs) truly serve from a place of love and abundance, the, the money will come, right? Success is not dollars. Success is, are you impacting the life of another human being? I've read this quote once. I can never find who wrote it. And I've tried searching. It doesn't come up. It says, teach, heal, or raise one human in your lifetime, and it will have been a success. I believe that. And I love that the chiropractors today, I think, because the emphasis is not on money, they are going to make chiropractic accessible to more people. Everybody should have access to care. Right now, it's a luxury boutique service. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this that this is like an interesting conversation because to me, one of the ways that I help people, chiropractors specifically, feel safer in their practices is by making more money. And when they make more money and like they're able to pay the bills, they feel safer, right? When they don't when they don't have that happening, they feel resentment growing. They don't like they get to a point where they're like, I don't even want to be here anymore. Why yeah. am I doing this? So it's about finding this like this balance between those two things, I think, which is um delicate. It's delicate. You like you cannot source your safety from money. It's an inside job. Yeah. There's a there's a Buddha quote. It's it's a how does it go? Um Success does not create happiness. Mm-hmm. Happiness creates success. If you do what you love, you will be happy. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we can help shepherd docs into finding the space that most authentically aligns with their values, they will have a successful financially solvent practice. Yep. 
Um, yeah. I'm with you. Okay. So talk to me more about the course you have coming up. Okay. So we're recording this on April. I'm looking at the tape. What, what is today? April 20th. Um, side note, it's been snowing here all day. Oh dear. Which is really weird for this time of year. Um, but it's melted. Now it's just swampy outside. So we're recording this April 20th. Your class is coming up April 24th. Um, you have things available all the time though for, for people that want to learn more. But this class coming up this weekend is specifically about applied polyvagal. Applied polyvagal, yep. What can people expect to get out of the course? Yeah. So really, and the course is a live course this weekend. That's a virtual live course that people can get CE for. You can still purchase the course after the 24th and get the recordings and all the resources and all that stuff. So you don't have to be live on Saturday. Um, so polyvagal theory really provides a neurophysiological framework to understand why people behave the way that they do in response to stress. And so when by taking a polyvagal lens and overlaying it with what we do as chiropractors, what it does is it shows us ways that we can actually help improve the resilience of our patients. In, a, in addition to the adjustment, which is obviously the critical piece that we perform as chiropractors, there are things that we can do from a trauma-informed way mm -hmm. that will actually give our patients a little bit more autonomy and personal power in helping to regulate their emotions, which is really important right now in these times of stress, right? I, I bet you there's not a chiropractor on the planet that's not talking about stress in their practice right now. And in fact, the one one silver lining around COVID is maybe we've shifted the conversation from pain to stress. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And the stress piece is where I think the conversation that we're having on Saturday is really about how do you, how can you help your patients come out of this chronic sympathetic dominant state that the research now tells us actually is a precursor to disease. And so we break down all of the theory and science of the polyvagal theory. And that's where, that's my geek out. And then Dr. Mack, who's the clinical guru, comes in and talks about how do you assess your patients with a polyvagal lens? How do you use exercises? Um, and talks about some of the research and how we can actually help them not just cope better, but have a better neuro-emotional, mental, spiritual response to our current environment. So people are going to leave this course with things that they can use in their practice right away. Next day. And that's one of the things I think um, I hear often, you know, when people are looking at continuing education courses, for example, they're like, can I apply this in practice? And I could tell just by reading the description of the course, like you, you're going to learn things in this course that you can implement immediately. Like you could walk away from the course and start implementing um, you're not going to need like fancy equipment or no equipment at all. You don't have to change anything. In fact, you can, and Dr. Mack will break down exactly how you can assess which stage really of in polyvagal theory, we talk about an autonomic hierarchy and essentially the old categorization of the autonomic nervous system is you had sympathetic and parasympathetic and that was it. And what Stephen Porges did, who's the developer of the polyvagal theory is like, actually, the parasympathetic gets divided into ventral and dorsal vagal. 
And so people will present either in ventral vagal, sympathetic, or dorsal vagal. And then that's going to look differently if you're if they're in a state of safety or not safety, in a state of threat. And so we'll break down what that looks like and then different exercises and tools you can use with your patients. She's even going to go through some outcome assessment tools and screens that you can use to like that people can score that you can then go back. So it's like an objective tool that you can use. It's amazing. This is actually the second version of this course. We did this course last fall and we've just updated it to be new and improved from all of the stuff that we've been learning. Some of the feedback that we got after last time, this one made me laugh. He said, uh, one of the reviewers said, it's like uh, Donnie Epstein and uh, Carrick had a baby. That's what this course is like, where you get functional neurology and that, you know, esoteric kind of end of things. And for both of us, it's really become a passion. Um, I'm, I, I get so excited to present this work. But doctors, like literally the next day in practice, will be able to implement these tools. Um, and it's not complicated. It's just, I think many people have heard of polyvagal and they're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cool. But yet they don't really know what it's about. Yeah. After three hours with us, you will know what it's about and you will know how to use it and you will love it. Okay. I have a couple more questions for you. You mentioned um, trauma informed and I think um, trauma itself, weirdly enough, has sort of become a buzzword. So I would love for you to define trauma informed a bit further. Like what does that mean? When we're talking trauma, are we talking like falls, slips on the ice, or are you talking emotional, mental traumas, any of the well, above? I'm, I mean, anything can be considered a trauma, but I more talk about what are some incidents that, and, and from a purely uh, clinical psychology perspective, they talk about trauma in terms of developmental trauma. So things that happen as a child can be biopsychological, it can be social, it can be all sorts of things. It could be mm-hmm. physical trauma, emotional trauma, mental trauma, that then create these neurological sequelae that disrupt normal homeostasis. So here's what we know, right? Around, it used to be around 10% of the population from a statistical perspective experienced developmental trauma, something severe enough that it disrupt normal neurosequential neurological development. Now we know that number's about doubled. And in fact, if you if they the studies that they've done now where they ask adults if they think they've experienced trauma as a child, it's 60%. And, and people think that trauma is something that's done to you. That's not the case. I mean, it is the case. And it's also when you don't receive something that you should have. Yeah. That can be just as traumatic and create the same sort of neurodevelopmental dysfunction that we see otherwise. And it's not a psychological process. Mental health is physical health. What we know is that trauma and in chronic stress, and I mentioned this earlier about allostatic loads, right? And how prolonged stress disrupts normal physiology. It disrupts immune system function. It disrupts our ability for our digestive system to function. We dive into all of that in this three hour course on Saturday. Trauma is anything that disrupts the normal physiological process that can't be overcome in that moment. We've all had trauma. Some of it's just more serious than others. Yeah, I'm with you on that. As a a coach for the last six years, I've really been coaching for like 14 years, but 
like as a business for six years, um, I, from the most, for most of that time, I didn't even think about what trauma informed meant, right. Or how that played into people's results in their lives and in their businesses. And over the last year, I've really been looking at that more and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, we can't just like mindset our way or affirmation our way out of behaviors, out of um, unhealthy patterns and habits if we don't address the underlying trauma. And yeah. that's not something that can happen in every space because it has to happen in a safe, a very safe space. Um, so I don't know that that work is for everyone, <laughs> but I think what is for everyone is for us to be willing to be able to be open to, to healing those traumas in ourselves so that we can be, as you put it today, um, the co-regulators, the best co-regulators that we can be. When you're not, when you're not able to face those things under the surface that are keeping you in unhealthy habits and patterns and relationships, you're not going to be a very effective co-regulator because you're, you're like 10 out of 10 overwhelmed all the time. That's not good for your patients. No. And, and trauma informed practice, just to be clear, because I don't think I adequately answered your question. Trauma informed practice is not going in and having somebody share the narrative of the trauma. A trauma-informed practice really just acknowledges that a trauma has happened. Yeah. That's created changes in the body that happen on a subcortical level such that you cannot think your way out of it. And in fact, as chiropractors, and this is why I say we're great co-regulators, is because we need a bottom-up approach to help release trauma, to release those distortions uh, in the body. And I think we as chiropractors are so uniquely aligned to do that. Number one, we can actually touch people. Number two, we are authorities for our patients, right? We have authority. And so they trust us and we can create really safe spaces without falling into narratives of trauma. I don't recommend that chiropractors get into people's trauma narrative. In fact, I recommend against that. It's just that you have to acknowledge that it exists and that you have a power through your hands and what you do to help people through their body release distortion and release that trauma. They're going to go and talk to a therapist or somebody else to help deal with some of the cognitive issues around that. That's not the job of the chiropractor. Right. You had written a post maybe yesterday about the top down, bottom up perspective. And, yep. and it, it it's like the same conversation, but in different words, because the top down perspective is like thinking your way into healthier habits, healthier behaviors, leaving relationships that are harmful, et cetera. Yeah. But the, if you're not dealing with the, the, the things underneath, right, the below the surface kinds of things, you're not going to be able to make those changes. So it's interesting because, you know, um, my background, I've shared this with you, like was in sports medicine in my early days in chiropractic. And, and I really aligned with that because it made sense to me. It was logical and black and white. And it was like, the symptoms are gone. Okay. We did a good job. And now I'm like, wow, you know, I see things so much differently. Um, everyone needs chiropractic because everyone's had some kind of trauma 
And if we're not dealing with those traumas from the bottom up, like spine perspective, bottom up, then the brain's not going to be able to do the work as effectively or efficiently to heal those traumas. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And absolutely supported by current science in everything from neurophysiological research to trauma research to, you know, attachment theory, clinical psychology, it's, all the painting is right there on the wall and it, and it's such a, it's become such a passion for me to explore the potential of what we can do as chiropractors. If we just acknowledge like, yes, the adjustment is the centerpiece of what we do. And the very fact that we touch people, touch is critical. Touch can create so much positive change. It's why there are chiropractors, you know, you don't have to do HVLA. You could do, you could anything from network to Gonstead, like it all works. Why? And I think because there's a bigger story there about what it is that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we are helping facilitate change from the bottom up through this phylogenetically organized hierarchy in our autonomic nervous system, right? When we're stressed out, it's our lizard brain that goes into survival mode. You can't think your way out of that. Most people can't think their way out of a sympathetic dominant state that we're all stuck in. I love teaching people how to do it through body, accessing through the body, creating somatic change that ultimately creates change in emotion, mentality, spirit, everything. It's beautiful. So I have one more note, which was on the assessment forms, like the outcome forms that you were talking about that you teach in the applied polyvagal course. Yeah. Um, I used to really hate outcome assessment forms. (laughs) And I think that in some way I hated them because I didn't want to, I didn't want to see them. I didn't want to see when a person's outcome assessment form was the same as it was the last time. And then feel like, Oh, I'm such a failure. Like I didn't, I didn't really help them. You know, chiropractic doesn't really work. Um, But I've really come to love outcome assessment forms now. And maybe that's just, you know, the growth of becoming a more seasoned practitioner. But what I find is that um, it it just provides this, it sounds so obvious, but it just provides this really measurable tool for something that otherwise seems really immeasurable. And it helps move our conversation away from symptoms. Like here's an objective outcome assessment tool or screen. These are validated oats. They're called validated oats for a reason because they have been verified to be statistically significant in what the uh, valuations are so that it gives you an objective tool to measure. And guess what? If you're afraid it's not going to be different or it's not different, then you need to change something as the chiropractor, right? We need to put our money where our mouth is. We need objective measure in chiropractic practice. So the oats are one great way. I'm also a huge advocate of something like HRV, which it actually does measure resilience. So here we are talking about this as chiropractors, right? So we move into this realm of saying, look, I'm telling you this. And oh, by the way, we do this one type of uh, electrophysiological measure called heart rate variability, which proves what I'm saying, right? That's the next course that's in May, heart rate vari- applied heart rate variability, which really is part of a sequential process. There'll be another course coming maybe in the fall. That's part of that triptych from polyvagal to HRV to cultivating resilience. 
Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So if someone that's listening would like to um, learn more about the course, where's the best place for them to go? Um, gosh, I should have anticipated. We use a bit.ly for the course. So it's bit.ly slash pranapolyvagal. But if you go to my page, Dr. Monique Andrews on Instagram, which I recommend that you follow or the Prana Foundation, we have a community as, as well as a page. You go to my page, go to Dr. Tamara McIntyre. There's links on those pages for all of our courses. Um, yeah. And, or you can email me, Dr. Mo at drmoniqueandrews.com. Okay. Awesome. Do you have any parting thoughts before we wrap up? Any parting thoughts? I think that, you know, there's a light. I can see the light that's at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, we, before we got on the record, we were talking about how, you know, you said, do you feel like there's a shift? And I do. And yeah. I feel like that's, I'm, I'm feeling physically lighter. I feel spiritually lighter. And I think we are so perfectly positioned as chiropractors to be the purveyors of change, release, you know, restoration, resilience, didn't even plan that, but I really think that we are uniquely positioned to be that one doc that can help enhance resilience for our people. And uh, we just need to get more people in our offices. And, and I think having more tools to do what we say we do and to actually be able to measure it through oats, through HRV, what have you, it actually, it sets us apart um, from our peers and certainly from other healthcare providers. Being able to measure it is one of the things that helps us provide evidence to other practitioners and physicians so that they can see the validity of what we do. So there's also that, which, I mean, that again is invaluable um, because that's, that's just the way that the medical system is designed and we're not going to change that. Um, at least not anytime soon. Not anytime soon. <laughs> if we focusing heavily on science, I predict for at least 50 more years. I will be gone before it's over. <laughs> but if we can if we can find ways to build that bridge of connection, right, then we can still be true to who we are, what we do, while also saying, look, this is I know that this is important to you to see this. Here it is. Yeah. So oh yeah, it allows us to have conversation. Evidence is it changes the conversation. And many people will say, if you can't measure it, it has no significance. I don't totally believe that, but it's a really good reason for, I think every chiropractor should have some sort of objective measure in their practice. And it could be as simple as a form that people fill out. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. Awesome. Dr. Mo, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I love our conversations, Danielle. Do you want to make more money without squeezing more patients or clients onto your schedule? If that's you, be sure to take my free class. In it, you'll learn how to bring leveraged income into your practice so you can work less, live more, and help more people than ever before. You can get signed up by going to drdanielleaton.com and click free.